a pattern of teaching and living began to emerge. We started seeing something new that really wasn't new, it was old. But it was both profound, yet it was much simpler than we were experiencing in our own lives. There was sort of this all-in nature to life in the kingdom of God, but the process for getting in and living out this life was somehow uncomplicated. It was less pressured and sort of mustered up and forced and less programmed. Jesus would hang out with and teach his disciples through short, simple stories, life lessons that opened up their hearts, through meals, through serving people, through people not being happy with them, all that. It was like a new way of being. We were really starting to see and experience that both out and, like I said, out on ministry trips, but also what I was seeing in scripture. And I wanted that. I mean, everybody wants that, right? Or so I thought. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey, good to be back with you. I'll bet some of you are still freezing and under a pile of snow. We had so much snow here in the Pacific Northwest, or at least our little corner of it up here in the uh, northwest corner near Tacoma here where we live, uh, Seattle area. We don't get that much snow. Uh, Maybe once a year, and sometimes it's just flurries, and you're like, oh, hey, I think that counted. Uh, And every few years we'll get enough to accumulate. But uh, we had like crazy 12 to 14 inches or something here. And I know some of the outlying areas had even more. Uh, What's nuts here is it doesn't take much snow or even like, it's just the threat of snow. And everybody here hunkers down, they cancel school, people don't make it into work. It's just too crazy, it might snow. Right, a couple of years ago, we had a snow like this. I think it was less, maybe like six or nine inches. They called it the snow apocalypse, and everybody still refers to it as that. <laughs> oh, anyway, I know some of you are probably still frozen and buried. Yikes! I'm so sorry. It's it's tough, especially like I'm thinking about some of our friends and people that we do ministry and coaching with in Texas. What? What's going on there? Our prayers will continue to go out to you guys, and uh, now you just have one more weird thing to navigate through as you make disciples and lead others to do the same, right? Wow. I'm so sorry for that. That's not the best. Uh, Before we go too deep into the the topic today in this episode, I wanted to give everybody a heads up. We are opening up some coaching cohorts, just a couple, a couple of few spots here. Uh, to be involved in coaching with myself and coaching and mentorship with me and Tina. And, and we we coach as couples, um, and we coach couples, so that's really, really important that uh, as we're building out community, making disciples, leading churches, that we're on the same page together and growing spiritually and with our moves and new missional rhythms and things like that. So if you're interested in being in a coaching and mentor relationship with Tina and I, and to learn a lifestyle of discipleship and mission, I want to invite you to, to join us in one of these few spots in the upcoming cohort, okay? I want you to start experiencing a deeper spiritual freedom in your life now, in everyday life, all right? If you want more information, 
just go check it out at everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching, right? Everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching, and you'll get a lot of information there. There's a little kind of form-ish thing you can fill out to get a hold of me. We'll hop on a discovery call where we can check out your context, see if it's a good fit, get any questions answered, and get you started here real soon. All right. It feels like to me, like we're just really getting started with the new year. I swear it does. And I know we're several weeks into the year, but that's how it's feeling. Uh, As we're still navigating so much change and new stuff and conflict in our world and social media going crazy and all that. And I thought it'd be a good time to share a little more of my own story and and my family's journey into living as a family of missionary servants. Kind of how we got started living discipleship as a lifestyle. Sound good? So I'm going to back up. I'm going to look a little further back. Several years ago, um, I was having a great year in business. Tina and I have been serial entrepreneurs. We've we've owned and operated and sold lots of businesses. But but several years back, I was having like the rockinest year ever. And um, our company was growing exponentially. And I was starting to experience some financial freedom to finally bless my family with you know, uh, some long-desired upgrades in life. And I had quite a bit of time and flexibility to travel internationally, and God was gracious and showed us many, many opportunities for mission and and ministry overseas. And I got to do some pretty amazing work in Africa and Asia by, you know, helping to deliver the gospel and much-needed relief to people who were suffering horrible things and religious persecution and things like that, war zones, all that. But it was a great time in my life, pretty much in every way. The kids were doing good. We were, felt like we were growing spiritually and super engaged, and that's when God stepped in and kind of messed it all up. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Like, oh, my plan is going great, God. What are you doing? So, so this is a few years ago. So I was like 40 years old uh, at that point, right? Like I'm 100 now, so I guess it was a lot longer ago. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. But um, at 40 years of age and with everything going well, what I thought perfectly, according to my sovereign plans, God spoke very clearly to me, telling me that I was going to become a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, a what? A what, Lord? And it's not that God spoke to me audibly that day, but it was pretty close. One of those few times in my life where I go, this is super clear from God, and then he backed it up with all, their, all kinds of other ways. The clarity that which I, you know, with which I heard his voice, and then, like I said, you know, other confirmations, it really only clarified his call in my life. And I'm like, but I'm not a pastor. I, I had never been to Bible college or seminary for all that stuff. I had zero professional training, though we had been involved in ministry in some pretty deep ways for a long time. And on top of that, I had no desire to wear a suit and slick back my hair and steer the pulpit every Sunday for the rest of my life. <laughs> I guess that's kind of what I was still thinking that meant. Um, and besides, what church would hire me? And so, uh, and despite all my kind of fears and dragging my feet, um, in you know, finally in faith, I finally I responded, "Okay, Father, uh, yes, I'll be a pastor." <laughs> Almost like tongue in cheek. Um, if that's your will for my life, yes, I say yes. But you'll have to work out all the business stuff I'm committed to, and and oh yeah, you're going to have to show me where I'm supposed to pastor or how that looks or whatever. And through a series of pretty amazing moves that felt like miracles within like 90 days of, of hearing God say, you're going to be a pastor, I'm calling you to this, vocationally, I was completely removed from my responsibilities within our own company. I kind of got freed up. 
um, I was receiving a pretty fat severance check every month for quite a while. Um, and so now I was kind of free as a bird. God did all this. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> apparently he is doing this. Like I'm freeing you up to be a pastor. Um, but there was only one problem. I wasn't one. I wasn't one yet. And no one had called me and you know, from anywhere or offered me a position at their church. And uh, yeah, so my wife, Tina, and I had been involved, though, at this point in a very large church in the Chicago suburbs for over nine years. We were really super involved, um, both locally and, like I was saying, with some of the international ministries of the church. But there were no job offers rolling in. No one was asking me to help you know, the team pastor up a little more <laughs> or whatever. Um, and I know this because I actually asked, and one of my buddies who was the associate pastor there of this really large church sort of asked for me. And in their polite way, they said, well, uh, no thanks, Caesar. Uh, <laughs> you're probably not a really good fit on our staff. Kind of patted me on the back. But that left me with very few options. And it also left me wondering if I had just screwed up my family's life and driven us off a cliff by leaving my own company and all that. So uh, not sure what else to do. I just, um, I remember I started remodeling my basement. Uh, we had a lot of people kind of staying with us as they always have and still do and um, was traveling a lot, doing a lot of ministry stuff. And we had missionaries visiting and all that. So I just, I dove in remodeling my basement and found that I had plenty of time while doing that with help, but a lot of time alone, hours and hours alone, I had a lot of time to talk to my heavenly dad about all that he was thinking and some of what I was thinking. And so another 90 days later again, is that a like a series of threes? I don't know. Um, all, like to the date, I received a call. And uh, I was, I can remember, I can still picture it. I was down in my basement. I don't know screwing, gluing, shooting nails, whatever I was doing. And it was a call from the executive pastor of our church. And he wanted to know if I was free to come in and have a talk with our senior pastor. He says, well, hey, Jim wants to talk to you about that new job that's opening up for a communications director. It's a new pastoral position we're creating. And I thought, whoa, that's my opening. <laughs> okay, come on, Lord, right? And, and, and it happened, just to kind of give you the short version. I ended up being hired on full-time at my own local church, as a pastor, overseeing all of our communications. Um, and I worked with a very large staff and a volunteer team, and this place was growing a lot. And then soon I added the title of missions pastor to my job description. Um, the guy who was leading our international work uh, left and went and took another position. And all of a sudden they said, hey, you already do a lot of this and know a lot about this, and um, you want to take that on too? And so they added that to my job description. And and because I had been on staff a little longer, I got to start preaching on the big stage and all that, real pastor and stuff, right? Um, now, for the next three years, I learned a lot about local ministry as I pastored and helped pastor that church in that context. And I'm really, I'm super grateful to God for that time and, and the awesome staff that I got to work with during those years. I knew a lot of these people because we had been there so long, but now I'm kind of, you know, up here. And it was a wonderful time. And... My life, my character, my theology were shaped in some pretty profound ways during that time. And yet, I, I still wondered, was this the call I had heard from God? Was this it? Was I living a transformed and eternally purposed life? And after a few years, I began to, I don't know, I began to chafe a little bit, wondering if Jesus had died on a cross 
so that a few chosen people in the church, and I was now one of them, uh, during the service could do the ministry. Well, pretty much everyone else just sat there passively, sort of silently watching, maybe taking some notes. Was this what God had in mind for me? And, and how about for everyone else? Was this the hope we had for growth and maturity as we followed Jesus for the rest of our lives? Was this the, you know, the, the highest level of things? You know, was the highest goal for most of my friends to become an usher in the church building, to someday just ush with the best of them? <laughs> I don't know. So, but it was around this time, while I was doing a lot of traveling overseas, that the Spirit of God led me to read and reread the book of Acts like every time I went on a trip. And a very different picture of the church began to emerge, not only from what I was reading over and over in Acts, but also what I was experiencing out sort of in the bush, literally. Uh, and it was a picture that was strikingly similar to what I was seeing and experiencing as I traveled. So I'm looking at the book of Acts, I'm experiencing being the church with some of the most broken people in the world that were so full of joy and full of Jesus. And the way that Jesus taught and lived with his disciples and how they in turn then lived looked a whole lot more like what I was seeing in Africa or India or Bangladesh or something than it did in my own life in church back home. And that started sort of, you know, gnawing at me a little bit. And, and I wondered, you know, what it would be like to live in real day-to-day -day community with others, not just saying hello to them once a week and shaking hands. Maybe I'll see him midweek at a small groupy thing. Um, I wonder what it would look like to intentionally disciple each other to a greater faith in Christ, you know, really living together as God's missionary family here in my own neighborhood. What would that be like? Well, there was uh, a huge problem at the time, okay? I had zero not yet believing friends, okay? None of my friends weren't Christians. In fact, I hardly even knew my neighbors. I was just too darn busy, you know, running all the programs that went on throughout the week after week after week at, the, at our church building. <laughs> so, hey, whoa, wait a second, I'm thinking, that don't make sense. If I and a handful of other pastors and leaders in the church are supposed to be role models for the rest of our people, taking seriously Jesus' command <laughs> to live this as a lifestyle, make disciples everywhere as you go, showing them how to live and make disciples as he did, shouldn't us pastors have loads of not-yet-believing friends around us, people we're discipling to the faith and on to maturity? Shouldn't we be rock star disciple makers, live in the same way Jesus and his disciples did? That was in my life, and there was nobody on staff that was living that way. And, and what I learned was that the way the disciples of Jesus lived was not only in stark contrast to his culture at the time, but it was sort of an upside-down lifestyle compared to everything else at the time, both Jewish and pagan. And you know, as, as I prayed through this, as Tina and I talked through this more and more, read more and more scripture, tried to, there wasn't a whole lot of books on any of this. No one was doing podcasts yet. <laughs> uh, certainly not about this. A pattern of teaching and living began to emerge. We started seeing something new that really wasn't new. It was old, uh, but it was both profound, yet it was much simpler than we were experiencing in our own lives. There was sort of this all-in nature to life in the kingdom of God, but the process for getting in and living out this life was somehow uncomplicated. It was less pressured and sort of mustered up and forced and less programmed. 
Jesus would hang out with and teach his disciples through short, simple stories, life lessons that opened up their hearts, through meals, through serving people, through people not being happy with them, all that. It was like a new way of being. We were really starting to see and experience that both out and, like I said, on, out in, on ministry trips, but also what I was seeing in Scripture. And I wanted that. I mean, everybody wants that, right? Well, or so I thought. And I started trying to share this with our small group. And maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but as, as we were getting together and we were really close friends for years, it was one of those small groups of like our bestest friends and really kind of closed. We didn't really let a whole lot of others in. And I start trying to like encourage them, like we're going to start living more like family and seeing each other and being in more in our, each other's lives. And, and we're going to be inviting our neighbors in and out, you know, going and seeing their soccer games with their kids and their dance recitals and going nuts and disciple people. And let's go serve out in our community, really kind of show them the glory of God that way. Uh, it didn't go very well. It, it didn't. It failed. And people sort of pushed back with lots of excuses and they're busy and well you know we're already you know we're already there on Sunday we're here at your house you know Wednesday night and heck I'm I'm helping out with the middle school you know it was just like God in a box kind of thing and it didn't go very well for us and this is back in Illinois right now now maybe you're feeling that way right now there's so many changes happening and the, the whole Sunday thing is a little broken, and not everybody's coming back for sure. And in some places, hardly anybody. And well, it looks like they're streaming this, but I can't really tell because if they even watch it for like a second or a minute, it counts as a download. I don't know. And there's still this gnawing, nagging thing in the back of my head. Jesus said, "Make disciples," and I don't know if that's really happening. And like I said, maybe you're feeling that way right now, and the folks in your church are saying that they want to live like Jesus lived. But then when you've tried to lead them toward that lifestyle, they balked and, and you know, start rolling out the excuses or they just go silent. They're just too busy, right? Oh, I feel you. You know, and, and maybe they all agree that what you're proposing is biblical, but they're sort of old school and existing preconceptions of Christianity and the church and their own priorities are acting as this huge gravitational pull backward away from a life where the priority and focus is living on mission with God all day, every day. And, and maybe like we did, you and your community st still have a lot to learn about how to best implement Jesus' methods of making disciples. And so perhaps it's time we looked backward, not just at my story, but further, way further back, in order to move our churches and our communities forward. There's a reason that Jesus lived and taught in the ways he did. He wasn't random or sort of trying to cleverly adapt to the local customs of the day. Yes, his, his methods were rooted in real life, and they were immersed in his culture, but there was something far more eternal and subversive going on, I want to suggest. Jesus was on his Father's mission. He was restoring all things to the way he originally created them to be, filling the world with God's glory. His life... Jesus' life and teachings provide both the example for us, but they also open us up to a new possibility for people to once again live in a close relationship with God under his rule and reign, and it affects all of life. And the way Jesus taught offered his disciples and us a pattern and a promise 
for life in the kingdom. And I'm reminded of scripture that says, for who hath despised the day of small things? <laughs> and for I think for many of us right now within the church and trying to lead our families, lead communities, lead the church that's changed a lot and is scattered and we're maybe trying to figure out how to get everybody back or something like that, I want to just read that again. Like, for who hath despised the day of small things? Let's, real quick, let's take a look at some of this pattern and promise that Jesus shows us. In Luke 13, we hear Jesus explaining how the good news of the kingdom, what we commonly refer to as the gospel, how it works itself out and how it shows us a pattern and a promise, starting with this basic principle, and that is small is big. You've probably heard me say this before. It's true. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Like This is coming out of Luke. It's like a mustard seed, he says, which a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, I think the pattern here is pretty clear and simple. This new kingdom restoration doesn't start off big. When Jesus is teaching his own disciples this, right, and he's saying the kingdom's like this, it's like this mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, and it doesn't start off big with everybody jumping on board. And, and notice that Jesus tells us that this little mustard seed is first planted in the man's own garden. I, I, that just jumps out at me. He didn't say he planted that out in someone else's field. <laughs> but he, the man plants it in his own garden. So think of your own life, your own rhythms of your family and all that. Now, after it's planted, it grows into something larger, something that others can find their place in. There are many small steps on the journey to a kingdom life lived with Jesus. We know that. And all of our steps will be baby steps at first. So you're thinking about change. You're thinking about the future. You're trying to lead, I'm going to guess, especially because you're here with me today, listening to this, you're trying to lead towards discipleship. They're all going to be little baby steps at first. That's the pattern. Now, the promise is also clear. After the good news of the kingdom takes root and changes your own heart, starting in your garden, Jesus promises it'll expand outward to include others. The seemingly small first steps that we take or that you take to cultivate growth in your life will grow over time and have a larger effect on others. But there's no skipping that first small step of planting the seed in our garden. But boy, we can hang on to that promise that it will grow larger and others will find their places in there as well. See, we're not called to build elaborate, structured programs and systems and then expect or work real hard to get lots of people to come on in and fill them up for us. No, instead, we're to plant small gospel seeds that will eventually grow into changed lives, changed families, changed communities. Small is big. That's the, that's the first kingdom principle that Jesus teaches us here. But it's not the only one. Continuing on with his disciples there in Luke, Jesus taught them another kingdom code, that slow is actually fast. It's like, hear this. <laughs> Again, Jesus asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. So what's the pattern? Like yeast, a catalyst for change and growth, 
the gospel begins to affect our lives, slowly at first, igniting a change within us that influences every aspect of our lives and our existence. That's the pattern. And the promise, the good news of the kingdom, is about more than just our afterlife. Hooray! <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's about more than just our afterlife, what happens to us when we die. This kingdom good news, Christianity, is about more than sin and heaven and hell. Jesus' kingdom rule and reign is present now. Isn't that good news? And it transforms everything about us. It changes our perspectives and our priorities, our motives and our methods. Small is fast. I mean, small is big, slow is fast. So living on God's mission of making disciples is about small shifts in belief and practice that over time in your life, with your family, with your church, they're going to make a big difference. Just as a ball of dough takes time to rise, we need to be patient with God's process of change and growth in our hearts and lives. So what's all that lead to then? Well, there's an underlying principle, I think, in both of these parables, a goal that these two principles lead to, and that's multiplication. Yeah, multiplication. The good, so it's not just growth, like our own growth, right? But it's multiplying. The good news of the kingdom and Jesus' kingdom rule and reign is not just about the small changes in your life that lead to transformation over time, nor is it simply a matter of taking time and having the patience to do the right things. Both of these parables, I believe, teach us that life in the kingdom always leads to multiplication. And multiplication always beats out hard work and sacrifice and big goals and dreams and all that stuff and killing ourselves, right? Multiplication wins. Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom life will always lead to expansion and abundance. And, And you see that throughout all of Scripture. So many of the parables show us that. He's teaching us this. Healthy things grow. They multiply. And that's how God has ordered all of life. Yeah, and and Jesus is saying, and I'm going to show you how to live this way and teach others as well. Healthy things grow. If you're feeling like right now your family's not growing spiritually or you're not or your community, your small group is not or your missional community or the church you help lead, it's just, it's not that healthy. Like, and, and we can blame it on COVID or we can blame it on the way of the world or we can blame it on the internet or whatever, but healthy things grow. These are kingdom principles. If you're not growing, if you're not seeing growth, please don't blame it on pandemic or social distancing. There is other kingdom gospel and identity issues at hand here that are keeping from that. Or you're trying to do too many big things and talk everybody into it, and you're missing this simple promise, this pattern and promise that Jesus gave us. So just to kind of go back, so how did all this turn out for us after our failed attempts at the beginning? Well, what we experienced over time was that when we focused on small yet important and ordinary parts of life, submitting them to Jesus and the gospel, seeking to build his kingdom in the hearts of others and ourselves as well, instead of our own kingdom, everything began to change. And you know what was weird? Not only did it change for us and the people God was drawn into community, 
others began to notice. They wanted to be a part of what we were doing. It, it would not have been uncommon, and it still isn't, to hear friends and people say, you know, I'm not really into that whole church thing or religion, but I love you guys, and I want to be a part of whatever this is that you're doing. <laughs> Again, small is big, slow is fast, and multiplication will win. And I want to just, you know, as I start to kind of wrap up here, I want to let you know all of this is bigger than you might think. It's bigger than how do we meet the budget or how do I get, you know, my kids more involved in this or how do we lead our people to really care about this? What I'm talking about is not just an alternative way to doing church. Like, okay, let's give this a try, right? This missional lifestyle, this lifestyle of discipleship and disciple-making with its intentional focus on God's kingdom and allowing his rule over every area of our life, it has eternal implications, Jesus' life, his teaching, death and resurrection, were all part of God's eternal plan to restore everything and everyone back to the way he originally created them to be. Relationships between God and humans and relationships between people, they're all being brought back to their intended righteousness, their right useness, all to display God's glory, to fill the world with his glory, to show the world what he's really like. And as Christians, we, we can continue to falsely assume that our highest calling is to attend a weekly church service or grow that thing and you know, maybe serve in a few church programs if you're not officially on staff or vocational or whatever. We can continue to live as good Christians who embrace the American dream and fit it in sometime to serve Jesus when it fits our schedule. And I, I know I call it the American dream because that's where I live, but I've talked to enough of you out there in other countries. You go, yeah, we have our own version. It's the same. But see, there's another story we need to hear, one that doesn't fit with the tale we've grown up believing. And, and that, that's that the kingdom of God has come. He's come. And our king desires to have our entire life, not just our Sundays, 1.8 times a month or while we're streaming or something. He doesn't just give us a ticket to a happy afterlife. He wants us to be a part of his work today, to experience all that he came to give us. We were created and saved to live with Jesus, and we're empowered now by his own spirit to be a part of the restoration of all things. Why settle for comfort and conformity when you were destined for glory? That's so much bigger. Oh, I hope this encourages you. Why settle for comfort and conformity and trying to get back to the way things were or uh, sort of a mediocrity of God in the box because yeah, my afterlife is covered when you were destined for glory, for a part of God's eternal purpose? Well, there's a little bit of our story. There's a little bit of what makes my heart beat fast. And, and part of why I wanted to share this today is some of what's coming in the weeks ahead this is going to lead right into it. It really will, but I, I, I knew it would take a little time to share that and kind of let you know a little more of our own journey and what we've seen Jesus show us in his teaching in scriptures with his disciples and all that. And if you want help learning to live this out or help initiating this in your own church context or reframing your small groups or missional communities, I'd love to help. Like I said earlier, we've, we're opening up some new coaching and mentorship cohorts my wife, Tina, and I, we coach as couples, and we coach couples. It's really kind of all of life related. 
and, and we'd love to have you join us in that. If you want to learn more about how our coaching works, what you'd learn, how often it is, all that stuff, would I'd, I'd just love to have you check it out. Go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching, everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching, and there's a bunch of information there and a way to get a hold of us. We'll hop on a, on a little Zoom call and, and see if it's a good fit, tell you a little bit more, answer your questions. Okay, as always, I want to give you the big three takeaways from today's topic. You don't want to miss these. And by the way, you can get a printable PDF of this week's big three. Maybe it's good talking points to talk with others about this episode. You can get that as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. Yeah, easy. Here are the big three for this week. First, you can almost guess it, small is big and slow is fast. A life lived on mission with God where your focus and priorities are reoriented around making disciples who make disciples, it doesn't happen like flipping on a light switch and suddenly just becomes a reality in your day-to-day experience. The early church and those that Jesus discipled and then those who he discipled were made up of very real and ordinary flesh and blood people, okay? They weren't a fluke or some sort of historical anomaly. They were normal. And the life they experienced in community together didn't happen overnight. And just as we saw with Jesus and his followers, remember he spent years with them, you'll need to start small, go slowly, and learn to trust God himself to guide you. We really do get to live this way. So please don't think this is some weird anomaly or that's how it happened back then, but it can't happen now. It can, it does, it is. We live this way. I'd love to help you live this way. Second, this journey begins with a very important first step. As you're rethinking the patterns that Jesus established with his disciples, maybe some new rhythms, I encourage you to start believing what is already true of you now. And and that's, if you're a Christian, you're a part of God's family. You're dearly loved sons and daughters, and you've been commissioned to bear the family name and be a missionary servant and a disciple who makes disciples in all of life. This is part of your identity now, not someday in heaven. Our being, our identity, our being leads to our doing. That's our first step. we got to believe our identity. Let your true identity begin to shape the things that God has for you ahead. And third, this is like the practical step for you. What small yet profound thing do you take away from this episode today? What little mustard seed is starting to grow in the field of your heart right now? What is one thing you can start doing and lead others to do that would not create too much disruption to your schedule, but would start to head you down the path of discipleship as a way of life? Ask God to give you the courage where needed to begin to live in light of these truths and what he's putting on your heart. Commit it to prayer and and then tell someone else about it and get started tomorrow or better yet today. (laughs) All right. Well, it's always good being with you. That's about it for today. I hope you'll join me for our next episode next week as we talk about getting unstuck and getting started on mission. And so many of us are, are waiting for, well, I don't know exactly what, maybe something to take place or for the next thing in life or to go back to how something was or who knows what. And I, I just want to tell you, stop waiting and bloom where you're planted. That's what we're going to talk about. I hope you'll join me for that. I can't wait. I'll talk to you soon.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.